Abba, Father, it is with fear and trembling that I ask for mercy. Mercy for me as I stand in the gap and do my best to represent you and your truth. How that affects me, how that affects my dear friends here this morning. Would you please encourage and bless. Thank you always for the way that you love and you, you show grace. Would you please help us to understand your son and what it means to follow him. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So to begin with, I just want to do a quick scan of what are called the I am statements uh, in the New Testament. Yeah, in Greek, it's ego eimi, which literally means I am. It's all it is, I am. And there, there's about 17 uh, of these references. We're not getting into a lot of Old Testament references, uh, but the idea of I am is borrowed from Exodus chapter 3, where God gives his personal name. Like your name is Allison or your name is Ben. God has a name. It's, and it's stated in the Hebrew language, a memorial name. And it is pronounced, possibly, we're not actually sure, Yahweh. Uh, it's also possibly pronounced Yahweh. It depends how you handle the Hebrew language. And, and this is stuff that, that it's the best scholars do the best they can to, to come at a really good answer. So consensus is it's probably pronounced Yahweh. That's pretty typical. And it means I am. It's <laughs> what it means. Uh, and four letters in Hebrew. Uh, Hebrew doesn't have a whole lot of uh, vowels. It's a whole lot of consonants. And it's a really difficult language to learn. And, and so the four letters are known as the tetragrammaton. The four letters. And it, in these four letters, you get the idea that I am is in three tenses. The past tense. I was, I am right now, and I shall be. So this, it's this thing that encapsulates the whole identity of who God is. I am the I am. That's who is sending you, Moses. And so Jesus borrows that language, and he gives several I am statements. Like, I am, he reports to the woman at the well, I am the Messiah. I am he. I am the one talking to you. I am the bread of life, living bread, light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, that is a clear reference to him as Yahweh. I'm the door of the sheep, the door, the good shepherd, resurrection and life, the way, the truth, and the life, the vine. I am Jesus the Nazarene. I am Alpha and Omega, uh, I, who is and who was and who is to come. Oh, you get the three tenses? There's the three tenses. That's the Hebrew mindset behind the name I am. I am the Almighty, the first and the last. The living one, I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Powerful I am statements. Now, these are autobiographical. Do you know what an autogra autobiographical statement is? What is it? It's a self-disclosing statement. You are revealing to someone else how you see yourself. So when it comes to identity and identity formation, Jesus is giving us a window inside his own head, his own heart. This is how he understood himself, all right? So let's do this. I want to shift to the self-concept of Jesus, not from the I am statements, but how he related to people and other things that he said. So watch what happens here. This is going to be very, very important. Uh, in Luke 3... It says this, now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. 
And while he was praying, heaven opened, was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Guess what? In my caseload, to the person, almost without exception, this is something my, my clients didn't have when they were young. This is what they didn't have. They didn't have a significant mom and a significant dad that said, Behold, you're my beloved daughter. You're my beloved son. And you make me happy. Come here, you little tyke. Give me a hug. Hey, buddy, do you know how happy you make me? They didn't have that. And as children, they felt like they had to earn love and acceptance. And, and remember, children believe how parents behave, right? Children believe how parents behave. And so off this platform, I've got clients who are adults in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and they are still trying to gain approval. They're still working at it. And sometimes the chip on their shoulder is so big that, that they become almost impossible to live with. What would it be like if we could get inside his head and understand that he began, Daniel, he started the ministry, not from the platform, I got to do right so dad, dad won't reject me. He's already starting from the basis of acceptance and approval. He's not trying to earn approval. He already has it. What a way to start. How's that for God giving his own son grace right at the beginning? Isn't that amazing? Mark 2, 17, after hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What does that say about Christ? What does it reveal about his self-concept? So when he had a dinner party, who did he invite? The local, the local elite? <laughs> the, the people who were ill, right? He kept inviting to the table people who were considered spiritually, morally, religiously ill. That's how he saw himself. This is really good. Boy, this, this affects, this, I, I see this every day, even with my clients. So this is Luke 2, 48 to 52. Jesus had been away five days that his parents had been separated from him. When they saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, why is it that you are looking for me? Did you not know that it had to be in my father's house? In Hebrew, about the business of my father's house. But they did not understand the statement which he had made. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. Now watch this. He continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. That is, that is fascinating. Here's why. When he says, didn't you know that it had to be about my father's business? Sounds to me like Tom Logic, he's making a break. I'm staying in Jerusalem. You guys go back to Nazareth. We're done. But he doesn't. Instead, he flips it. And he says, I'm gonna, I choose to be under your authority. I choose to submit to my mom and my dad. Make sense? 
He flips it. Because the language of, hey, didn't you know it had to be about my father's house? is like, don't you know that I have to submit to my heavenly father? And you want me to submit to you? No, no, no. It's changing now. I now submit to God only. But instead, he flips it and he literally says, it says that he returned in submission to them. Mom was fascinated by that, treasured these things in her heart. Mary had quite a heart, Edie. And then Jesus kept increasing in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and men. So, you know, a great question right now is going to be, what does being under authority have to do with increasing in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men? Learning to be under authority and to not have the chip on the shoulder has everything to do with growing in wisdom and in stature in your character. It's not about getting tall. It's about character and getting along with people and getting along with God. It is genius. And guess what? The people who, again, chip on the shoulder, they're bitter, grudge-holding people They cannot stand authority. They don't want anybody telling them anything. I don't care if it's mom and dad. I don't care if it's a boss. It doesn't matter who it is. They they have this ridiculous chip. And you know what? They just can't seem to get their own act together. They can't seem to grow in wisdom. There's a character formation just gets stunted and blunted. And they just can't seem to get along with people and get along with God. And they're always in relational conflict. Always. It gets right back down to this root. We have to learn to be under authority and how to handle that. And when you've got absolutely cruddy, man-made self-esteem, it is hard. (laughs) It is hard to do that. Okay, Genius what goes on in, in Luke 2. Look at this one. John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Wow. Look at the, that autobiographical statement. Jesus says when it comes down to will and volition and decision making, I think that God's will is more important than mine. John five thirty six. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, they testify about me, that the Father has sent me. 544, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek glory that is from the one and only God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me so that you may know and understand that the Father's in me and I am in the Father. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Just a quick comment. Jesus believed he was loved. He was loved. Perfectly. Completely. Chapter 16. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, 
and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. So let's walk through some summary statements, okay? We're going to take these scriptures and give a summary statement about how Christ saw himself, all right? From Luke 3, Jesus believed his Father was pleased with him even before the ministry began. In other words, Jesus started his adult ministry from a conviction of acceptance and approval, not from a burden of trying to gain approval in order to be accepted. We, how, can, can we be honest just for a little bit here? We flip it, don't we? We flip it upside down. And we think we've got to do right in order to be loved and accepted by God. Jesus saw himself as someone called specifically to the spiritually sick. Jesus understood being under authority is in direct proportion to increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus believed his will was not as important as the will of his father. He believed his father sent him to accomplish work and his work, his behaviors, proved actually his true nature, his true character. He believed that the reputation and glory of his father was the most important concern in his life. The reputation of his father was the most important concern of his life. Stands in striking contrast, you ready? When we actually derive worth based on the number of likes and forwards we get on Facebook or some other social media platform. Jesus believed his conscience was so clear and his, his obedience to the Father was so complete that he could say, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Soak that one up. He believed his conscience was so clear and his obedience so complete that he could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. As an example of this, by the way, and this is beautiful to me in Mark 4, you've got Jesus inside the boat with the disciples. Uh, a storm hits. The geography of the lake is fascinating. Storm systems can come, come across the plain, hit the mountains, and then slam directly down on top of the lake. And, and literally, the lake gets hammered by pressure. Uh, and wind and rain, and it becomes an extremely dangerous situation. Just because of the geography, it's kind of an odd thing on the Sea of Galilee. They're out there in a boat, and waves are coming over the, the bow of the boat. All right. I don't know, is it, is it knee-deep in the boat? Is it waist-deep? I don't know. But we do know this, it's soaking wet. Everybody's wet. I'm like a lot wet, okay? And Jesus is on the bow, and what is he doing, Lee? He's asleep on the cushion. <laughs> All right. It's not like a little mild rain. He is soaked. Probably, you know, if he's laying down sideways, m perhaps a lot of his body is actually underwater. And he's sound asleep. All right. Okay. They, they're disturbed. They're upset. You know, they wake him. He calms the storm. I want you to listen to this. Jesus believed. His conscience was so clear. And his obedience is so complete that he could say, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Which means, Rebecca, that whether he's he is acting like God when he's asleep on the cushion. In other words, you ready? This is heavy stuff. Being calm in a storm is a godly thing to do. He's being godlike 
sound asleep when it's a worst case scenario. Just like it's a godlike thing to wake up and calm the storm. In other words, he wasn't being an idiot sleeping. And then, oh, he finally got his stuff together and woke up. Okay, oh, what was I thinking? Sorry, calm the storm. No, no, no. He was, he was being profoundly like God, sound asleep. Profoundly. Just like he was when he woke up and calmed the storm. Jesus believed he was so emotionally secure in his identity, he didn't have to force or manipulate people into believing in him. Wow. He didn't have to force or manipulate anyone into believing in him. Jesus believed he was in the Father and the Father was in him. Wow. To get one is to get the other. Absolutely amazing. Two more. Jesus was convinced he was completely and perfectly loved by his Father. I want to give you a quick anonymous report uh, on one of my dear clients, and they're, they're doing so well. I treated him for, I guess, maybe a year and a half. Uh, self-esteem completely shattered. Uh, two failed marriages. Just a wreck. Everything's a wreck. Okay? And one of the things I, uh, I ask my clients to do at, at a certain point in the treatment program is I'll ask them to say their name and then say something positive about themselves, like, my name is... Uh, Chris Perry and I am loved or my name is Chris Perry and I have permission to have feelings think about that little idea think about that little idea my name is Chris Perry and I have permission to have feelings and I, this with this particular client they could not say it they literally could not say their name and say that they have permission to have feelings she couldn't do it and it took months for the stronghold in her soul of shame and guilt from what happened to her as a little girl for to finally believe that it was okay to, for her to have a feeling, even if it was an anger feeling, not just a, a warm, fuzzy, loving kind of feeling. Soak this up. Jesus was convinced he was completely and perfectly loved by his Father. Do you know that single idea? Do you know the mess that cleans up? Just that one thing. The mess that can clean up. Jesus believed, this is beautiful, Jesus believed he was always in the presence of God and therefore never actually alone. <laughs> I love that. Even if every disciple stabs him in the back and turns and runs and leaves him, he's still not alone because he believed that the Father was with him at all times. So here's, um, here's these, these concepts for you in summary. I want to turn this over to you now. And I realize that's, that's a lot on the screen, but I wanted you to see it so that we're, we're not, you know, you're not trying to look back and, and struggle trying to remember these things. So here's my question for you. What would you put in the blanks? My name is blank, and I am blank. If you, really, if you really entered into the idea that you could have self-esteem just like Christ did, you could esteem yourself just as he esteemed himself, what could you say? What could you put in your blank? My name is Tom. My name is 
My name is Allison. What would you say? If you could esteem yourself in the exact same way that Christ did, what would change? What would change about your relationships? What would change? I bet it wouldn't be so hard to be under authority. (laughs) I think that mess would get cleaned up. And yet, here we are. You know, sometimes we halt. We're stuck between two opinions. Am I going to be about my father's business or am I going to be about my own business? Okay, let's, uh, let's, let's take ownership of this. This is heavy stuff. You are the church. If you're born again, the spirit is inside of you. You have been given gifts. Gifts to build the faith and to encourage and make strong belief in each other. What does it take to make the jump? To believe that you can be valued as Jesus saw himself being valued. That if these things became a part of your life, what could change? How would you counsel? How would you guide someone in this? Why does this matter? You're the body of Christ. Care for yourself. In that first summary statement, uh, Chris, when it says Jesus believed his father was pleased with mm-hmm. him before his ministry began, um, so much of the other summary statements are after his ministry began. But mm-hmm. we can't we can't know, or it's not recorded, what kind of parents he had growing up, other than yeah, what kind of esteem they gave him, mm-hmm. what kind of admonition they gave him, what kind of discipline they gave him, yeah. um, how he acted as a kid, how much positive reinforcement he had. I have no idea. But the only thing we know is that Mary and Joseph knew that he was uh, born of God. Yes. We know that. Yes. So I would think they would have to nurture him in that way until he was stranded at the temple because he was teaching. Right. And, th- and then he made a kind yeah. of a Summary statement of himself, don't you know that I'm about my father's business? Right. I'm not sure how Joseph would have taken that. But yeah, yeah. The, Go ahead. Well, the idea is, is I think there's a lot of uh, people that you probably meet with, a lot of people we deal with, that because they did not have a positive mm-hmm. parental influence, mm-hmm. they're they're looking for significance from other people. Absolutely. And a lot of that is in the church, and we as a church judge people wrongly. Yes. We hold them yes. at arm's length. We hold them yes. because of their background. We hold them because of all different kinds of things that they've made mistakes in. Right, right. Like they don't deserve fellowship. Sure, and so sure. their esteem, sure. until they reach a point of maturity in who Christ is and who God is in their life, there's no way for them to overcome this. Extremely difficult. You're right. Very, very difficult to overcome it. Some, somehow grab a handle and pull themselves up. But so I'm thinking the church hard. has a huge significant part of that. Huge. And I'm not sure the church is even mature enough in many cases. Right, right, right. And it's tough. Boy, it's, it's tough, Randy. And you're, you're bringing up a critical issue. That, Randy, here's what we do know historically. Uh, if you read the Gospels closely, when Jesus uh, performed a particular miracle or kind of got in trouble with those around him, they, they early on they said, is this Joseph's son? Which was, quite frankly, in Hebrew culture, the right thing to say. Is this the son of Joseph, the carpenter? 
But toward the latter part of the Gospels, what do they say? Anybody? Hmm? Yes. What? Is this the son of Mary? Now, in Hebrew culture, what is that actually? What did they just do? Ooh, big time. Big time. They just slammed him. So here's what we do know historically. Jesus was born in sexual scandal. Okay? Now, you and I know as Christians that we believe in the virgin birth and we hold to that. And we see the whole thing as something very, very pure. But that wasn't the word out on the street. Okay? So it's possible, Randy, and again, we're, we can't get in the test tube, can we? That Joseph and Mary experienced quite a bit of social ostracization. And, and there, there was a lot of social pressure because of an obvious moral indiscretion on her behalf, right? We all know how people get pregnant, right? It's not rocket science. And so there has to be a scandal. And so there was a lot of, there was a lot of talk. Even to the point that in the Gospels, it's real, <clears throat> we know that's the son of Mary, which is a cut. I mean, that's a big time put down. That's not a pleasantry. We, we would see it as something, oh, that's a hallmark. We love our mommies. That's a Mother's Day comment. You know, no, it wasn't at all. So there was a lot of backdrop of social pressure, and we can only hope and conject you know, that, that it was not as horrible as it could be. But Randy's on to something. Remember the bridging relationships? We talked about a few sessions ago that some people who don't have the idea that they're actually loved or they're even, this is scary, that they're even worthy of being loved. <laughs> that's, that's how bad it can get. They're not even worthy. They don't deserve to be loved, let alone there is someone that could love them or would love them. And oftentimes they come to the church looking for it. They do. They really do. And so church fights, church splits, cause so much damage. So much damage. Church discipline causes damage. And boy, that's not fun, you know. And, and so we, even in that, we have tension that grace and truth have to have balance, have to have equilibrium. So... telling him to turn the water into one, you know, do it, just do whatever he tells you. We don't see Joseph there, and um, I don't know, I just kind of wonder, because there, you know people that grew up um, feeling loved and accepted until they made a break from the family business or the expectations mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then it's usually the father that is, you know, it's always the mom, you know, in the movies, it's always the mom trying to get the dad to accept the child that didn't yep. do, you know. Yep. And so you just kind of wonder that, but, but in not even telling us, it's almost like the father, the heavenly father is, is communicating to us, it doesn't really matter what your dad Mm. Because mm. you have a, you have me, and I have the last word in who you are, mm. how much you're worth. Edie, would you read in your big Edie voice? 
would you read Psalm 2710? This is something everybody should have memorized. I mean, you should just know this without question. Psalm 2710. Can you read that? Your big easy voice. Does not need a microphone because I have a big mouth. <laughs> voice. I didn't say mouth. That's a voice. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, low self-esteem right there. See, uh oh, uh oh. That was words spoken over me that came. <laughs> Yeah, it's in the middle of the Bible. It's the book of Psalms. I, got, I know where to You need to start having quiet <laughs> My father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Can you read that one more time? For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Isn't that beautiful, Edie? We should all memorize that. And I was going to say one other thing. Sure. About what Randy was talking about, the church. And, um, you know, when you think... It, it, it doesn't make sense because the church is meant to love and to accept and to model Christ. Yes. When you think about it, we're just full of broken people. And we're full of people that don't feel esteemed by, never felt esteemed by parents or father. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they don't feel esteemed by God. They're, they don't understand grace. Yep. And so they begin their life with Christ feeling like they somehow have to work to mm -hmm. repay him mm -hmm. for everything he did for yes, them. Yes, yes. And, and we look, I mean, when we can't accept other people, or at least this is my experience, there's something going on in my heart that I, when I look at somebody else and I immediately want to find fault with them or mm -hmm. judge them. Now, mm -hmm. not when it's obvious that they are doing something wrong. Right, right, right. But when I just feel, you know, when you feel a need to belittle someone else, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and have expectations of them in order to ex accept them. Mm -hmm. There's something going on. Ooh, low self-esteem, huh? especially when you got to do it in public. Okay, you're trying to, you know, fight for you, you're trying to prove to yourself, well, I'm better than you. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's the Pharisee. That's the mindset of the Pharisee. In an honor-shame world, you got to get a public platform and prove yourself better than them. And that's how they, they thought. So, Edie, that's so good. By the way, uh, David said, my father and my mother forsake, have forsaken me, but the Lord took me in. We have no idea what the backstory is on that, but we do know that Jesse refused to present his son to Samuel for review. He presented the six boys, but wouldn't present the seventh. So he had rejection from Jesse as though he was a dishonorable boy. Maybe that's the backstory. We don't know. We don't know. By the way, trivia. Do you think Joseph and Mary ever got into it? I mean, if they went to a Weekend to Remember conference and, and, and the guy talked about that, you know, and do, you think, do you think Joseph would say, now, now, Mary, you know, for years you've always been telling me that's your son. Like, I got nothing to do with it. What? You've always pushed me to the side. You've always marginalized me. That's my boy. You don't discipline him. That's mine. You know, I wonder if Joseph ever felt that. You know, Rebecca, when, when they find him in the temple, who's the one that does all the talking? Your father and I have been looking for you for five days. Why did you do this to us? It's mom that's doing all the talking. It's not dad. Maybe Mary felt like she had some ownership that Joseph didn't have. Little Joe, big Mary. Oh, and um, there was. Uh, I took you in. 
I took you in. This, yep. You can't say anything, but I took you in. I already did. Like, I don't know, just that sure. how you feel a little fur. Yeah. So, Allison, uh, if you study history, you find out that there was a man named Kelsus, Kelsus, who was the first um, bill mayor of the second century that hated the church. And he, just, he, would, he would write to prove and document that Christianity is just a big joke. And it's foolish and has a horrible, baseless, you know, kind of framework for its belief system. Guess what he said? There's a little comment, and we all know how Mary got pregnant. She was, she was seduced by a Roman soldier named Pantera. That was the word on the street. History. Written by Kelsus. There's a real scandal. We don't, and sometimes we miss that because we're still in a hallmarky kind of frame of mind. But, oh, it's a Christmas story. But here's the other side. Joseph had an encounter. That's why he stayed with her. He actually, the <clears throat> he, angel came he, absolutely. And maybe, just maybe, he saw things more clearly than Mary did. Possibly in a so. Sense. Yeah. And he yeah. was silent because, in his, because he's going, you know what? God told me to yeah. stay with her because this was a special child. Yes, yes. And yeah. I need to honor, I mean, we don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it could be from both. I mean, it could be both sides. Sure, sure, exactly, exactly, Edie. Still, um, Daniel. Um, <clears throat> I think there's a just there's a burden, not a bad burden, but a burden that comes with already having that approval, not having to earn it. And um, we are, you think of an ambassador to a country, the, the ambassador to whatever country from America has a much higher burden on the, the way they act and present, present themselves than just a citizen in that same country. Mm -hmm. And we are essentially ambassadors for Christ, for, for God. Um, and the way that we present ourselves, we're not out there sharing rules. We're sharing, at the end of the day, we're sharing the eternal love and approval mm -hmm. of the creator of the universe, not, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not here's this great set of rules that you can follow, because that's mm -hmm. not attractive and that's not what it is. But yeah. I think we, we have to be conscious of that in, I think we, yeah, you mentioned likes on social media, there's a, there's a, a tendency to be self-deprecating and to, to gain approval or just because you don't want to be prideful and, and all that. Mm -hmm. But if I'm self-deprecating, if I, that doesn't show that I have that love living inside of me that I think I'm just a, not worth anything, I don't be prideful, but that should come through not in just how you interact with others, but how you feel about yourself. Mm -hmm. as the, the friends that you share that our friends that, that lost their, their child. Um, mm -hmm. They have been open. They have been um, through Facebook and through friends about their struggles and their questioning of God, but also their prayers for answers and, and all of that. But I've 
the common thread and how people respond to them is thanking them for the grace that they have shown and how they've handled the situation. And that's, that is, it is not a, a woe is me attitude. It's a God is bigger, God is good, it doesn't feel good. And that, I don't think, I don't think anyone realizes the witness that they are being in, and their transparency, but their transparency and how they are handling that situation with such grace and such openness and faith, but also struggle, but not in my life is awful and I just hate everything. Mm. I think we have to be in just our normal conversations, but also in in all of that. We just we have to be conscious that that's we carry that burden that yes. when when I interact with people, I'm not just showing people how great the rules are and how good it feels to follow the rules. I'm, I'm if the love of God doesn't look attractive to me, then it's not going to look attractive to people that I'm sharing that. Mm, well so spoken, Daniel. God, God is great. I'm awful, and it doesn't really work for me, but you can. <laughs> maybe, maybe God loving me will give you some self-esteem. Doesn't didn't work for me. No, it doesn't, it doesn't, that's not attractive. Daniel, you're on to something because Jesus obeyed the Father so completely his conscience was so clear that he could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When we are so adapted to our dysfunction, that like, well, don't look at me. You know, I'm just a signpost, humbly pointing to God. Well, okay, I get that. But, but come on. You know, what, if, what, what would change if I, if you, if we believe that the will of God is more important than our will? And that God's glory is more important than my glory, your glory. What if we believe that, that we're so emotionally secure we don't have to be codependent or parasitic on each other? What if you believe? Because you know what? When you really have Christ's esteem and you're deep in it, you can be the kind of man, the kind of woman that you can render a verdict without partiality. And you can, you can dish out discipline just like it should be dished out. And, you're, and you still sleep well at night. <laughs> and then you can, you can be the most loving and kind and accepting person. You got to do both. If it's all mush, if Jesus threw his arms around and kissed the cheek of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, oh, don't worry about it. It's all okay. We're all on the journey. No, no, not at all. That's not the esteem of God. That's not right. But he could do that to a broken leper or to a drunk or to a prostitute or a thief. They're known as tax collectors, by the way. Thieves. They lied and steal and charged more than they had to to make their own profits. Turncoats. But he could, he could accept them. So what if you had the esteem of a son? Got to remember this. The reason why we have the Gospels the reason why they're written, they're a form of Greco-Roman biography. And what's the purpose of a Greco-Roman biography? Present the hero of the story so that you can be like the hero. That's how it worked in the Greco-Roman world. You write about the central figure so that you, being honorable yourself, will want to imitate the ideal person, the ideal citizen of the ideal state. For Jesus, it is the kingdom of God.
Have you settled up on being completely and perfectly loved? Have you settled up that he's... Do you have such intimacy with God? You're so intimate, so close, that two become one, that even when you're not around anybody, you still have God. You still have... You're in good company with God. That it's not like you have to constantly have people around you to feel good about yourself. So then one way you see this in your attitude with people is if you have that clear conscience before God, you're not trying to please everyone because it's really easy to to think, well, I've done the right thing, but this person's still angry with me or mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of whatever they have going on. Mm-hmm. Sure. You don't have to prove yourself mm-hmm. to them because you know you've done your part and if they're not happy that's between them and God it's not absolutely. about you. absolutely which absolutely. is really hard for me personally <laughs> yeah because uh, yeah. I, I still want people to be happy with me and I'm like but I haven't like I've done the thing to fix this and yeah. still yeah yeah but it comes down to what does it mean to walk by faith yes keep going it's, it's, I mean it's what it's what he says about us I read something this morning in Leviticus, it was about the priest. The priest couldn't. The priest had to be without blemish to present a sacrifice. The offering had to be without blemish too. And I was thinking, in Christ, he one he tore the veil, and he made us without blemish. Yes, acceptable. We're without blemish. We have been sanctified, which is it happened at salvation, and it's also progressive. So, you know, believing who we are in Christ is a progressive thing. So yes. The more we know about how we're loved, the more we know about him, the more we become who he who he's made us to be. Yes. And we see ourselves as he sees us, yes. which is without blemish. Yes, in and his son. We're broken people in a broken world <clears throat> and you know being told all these lies about ourselves, from ourselves and from others, because we're all just wrapped up in, you know, in this Born to please others and all mm-hmm. that. It's addicting, yeah. There's this little guy, he's an Australian, he's born without hands and without without arms and legs. And it, he's got a great video. It said, you know, without without arms and legs, without boundaries. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, uh, I know about the guy, yeah. You know, amazing. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. But just, you know, if we believe who we are in Christ, then we can walk through these yes. difficulties that that we yes. all of us are going to face in a broken people and broken world yep. and, and begin to believe what he says about uh, mm-hmm. us and that's the place of the church is to, mm-hmm. to encourage us to be who he says we are in him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and you nailed it. Difficulties yeah. just you know, because mm-hmm. the world tells us, well, you need to be happy. Just do what you need to do to be happy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Your will, your glory is far more important than God's. Yeah. And by the way, Lee, submitting to God's will, God's glory has everything to do with being under authority, doesn't it? It's no wonder we're all jacked up and, and messed up regarding authority, and therefore we struggle with our own self-esteem. We have, don't have favor with God, don't have favor with people, and we certainly don't have wisdom. They're related, profoundly related. So you know, under authority, if you. Not up here, but in Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, mm-hmm. you know, faced with you know mm-hmm. the most worst circumstances you yes. can get, worst case. and he's absolutely most innocent person on the planet. What does he say? It says, "Not my, my will, will, but yours." Absolutely, so profound. 
I want to show this slide and, and turn it over to you. You know what? If you can find somebody better than Jesus, let's be honest. If you can find somebody better than Jesus Christ, someone with a more pure love, a more intelligent social ethic, more humility, more courage, someone willing to die to fix what is broken inside of you and then restore you to God at no cost to you, follow them. <laughs> Go ahead. Do it. Your circus, your monkeys. Go for it. But if you can't, follow Jesus. And a follower of Jesus memorizes and repeats the words of Jesus and replicates the ministry actions of Jesus. He treats people in certain ways, and we do the very same thing. So if you do not believe you are loved, would you please ask God to reveal himself to you, reveal his son? By the way, Lee, 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. Wow. Can you imagine starting from a platform of love and acceptance rather than... Got to be perfect to gain it. Can you imagine? So I want to, sh- can I share something? Yeah, one more yeah, thing? yeah. Because it, um, this, this week in my, um, in one of my times with the Lord, and it didn't really apply to this, but I was sitting here thinking about it, and I thought this is just, it applies to everything in life that we struggle with. It's John 6, 16 through, through 21, where Jesus walks, you know, he walks on the water. And the disciples are out there when that storm comes. They have royally messed up with the feeding of the 5,000 mm-hmm. because they didn't believe. Yep. They did not believe. And when Lee was saying that, I thought, the, you know, the key word is believing. Mm-hmm. But So they're, they, are rowing, they are in this storm doing exactly what we do, even with this subject. It's a storm that mm-hmm. just consumes our life. And we row and we row and we row trying to feel loved and accepted trying to believe we will never be rejected. And so we do that all our life. But in this, uh, in these verses, it says, that, so he's, he's walking on the water, coming toward them. They're terrified. And I think many of us have experienced that terrifying thing of if I surrender it all to God, he's going he's to do the same thing. Who is this person? So we're afraid of that. And then Jesus speaks to them. And he tells them, it's me, don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. Which when we grab hold of that, and when the disciples grab hold of that, it, it says this, it says, then they were glad to take him into the boat. Yeah. And immediately they reached the land the that they side. were rowing toward. Yeah. Yeah. And so I look at that and I think even this, because I think this is really what happened in my life, of, of that storm <coughs> and rowing so against it but when I was glad to take Jesus into that storm with me when I believed him enough to invite him to get in that boat that I was rowing so hard he took me to where I needed to be Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so I think for us it is just that being in his word and over and over and over again seeing what he says, who he says he is, who he says that we are, and choosing to believe he wants to be in that mm-hmm. storm with us with because us, yes. he knows how to calm it yes. and how to get us to the And he's the only one that knows mm-hmm. what we uniquely need to get us to the other side of, of truly grabbing hold of the fact that we are absolutely loved and accepted mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. him.
Wow, beautiful, Edie. Let me pray. Abba, Father, uh, I know I need to deepen my faith in trusting that I'm loved, I'm accepted, and that I actually have permission to represent you and that I can have a clear conscience and I can be obedient and I can say to somebody, hey, watch how I do it. That we have that kind of influence. We can be that kind of person. But we have to first believe that your will is more important than ours and your glory and reputation are more important than ours. You have to settle up that we are going to be about your business and that your house is more important than my house and our house. Father, please teach us that you really are the way, the truth, and the life. And there's not a better way in our own way or somebody else. There's not better truth. And there's certainly not life in anyone else but you. Please teach us that it's okay. That we have permission to receive your love, believe in your love, and freedom to give it to others. We have permission to be truth tellers, to be responsible with ourselves and responsible to others. That we can grow in wisdom and in stature in our character and we can get along with you, we can get along with other people. Please teach us that we are loved just like your son. It is written, as the Father has loved me, so I have also loved you, abide in my love. Father, thank you for grace beyond anything we could ever imagine. In Jesus' name, amen.